They are weak. But he is strong. God reminds us that we are all weak. And he is strong. Amen. But he is the one who lifts our heads, as David said. He is the one who strengthens us. He does so by his Holy Spirit and through his word. So let's turn to his word this morning, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abram gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he, whose genealogy is not derived from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him, who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, pays tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father, when Melchizedek met him. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? Our Lord and our God, we thank you for Christ. And we pray, Lord, to be able to thank you for Jesus the Christ and the many facets of his ministry and person that you reveal in your word about him. Help us, Lord, to have a mature understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is still doing even today on our behalf according to your plan and purpose. We ask for help in this, Lord. We might grow in this knowledge and also to become secure like an anchor for the soul, this hope that we have in Jesus the Christ. We beg this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're looking to chapter 7 now, the writer has gone to teach us from admonishment of immaturity to now the teaching unto maturity. For a full understanding of this great high priest who is being taught to us in this book. The subject is not just one for the Hebrews alone, but it is a subject for Gentile Christians as well, for us. 
For just as they needed a new great high priest, so we as well need a great high priest. We do not need earthly priests because we have this high priest. Hebrews teaches us of the order of Melchizedek. And that order being superior, in this case as we look in chapter 7, to the Aaronic priesthood, to the high priesthood role and order of Aaron, the first of the Levitical high priests. We started last week looking at five descriptions of the priestly order of Melchizedek as a type of Christ that mark his ministry as superior to those of Aaron. So we study along in verses 4 through 10, how far into that we get today is of God's will. He gives us three proofs that Melchizedek is greater than Father Abraham. So first, greater than Aaron the priest, and then that this Melchizedekian priest was greater than Father Abraham, the father of all of Israel. This is important so that these Hebrews who are listening at the time in which they heard this letter, and we now today who come along with them in attaining to this truth, so that we may accept the superior ministry of Jesus the Christ, the great high priest, and find, if you will, hope for the future under Christ's high priestly ministry. In short, we need to be mature in understanding we need a high priest, and we need this high priest, Jesus, to function in the ways in which God had said he would. So as we look first in this idea of typology, and not having the time to redo that, let me just remind you of some of the essentials of a type and anti-type. You have type and anti-type. You have a type, he precedes the anti-type in history. And then also, the type is of less or lower stature than the antitype. The type, in this case Melchizedek, is a prefigurement of some, not all, but some aspects of the antitype Jesus, the great high priest. So the old high priest Melchizedek in the Old Testament, mentioned in Genesis 14, was a type of the great high priesthood that Jesus would fulfill in fuller, greater, and more specific detail. However, to understand that, we must first understand what kind of ministry, what kind of position this Melchizedek in Genesis 14 held. And so we've looked at these descriptions last week covering three of the five descriptions that shows us that Jesus Christ is of the order of Melchizedek and that Melchizedek was superior as an Old Testament type of Christ even over Aaron, the great high priest of the Old Testament. We look first that Melchizedek's priesthood in our text was universal and not national. In chapter 7, verse 1, we read that he was king of Salem. Melchizedek was king of Salem priest of God Most High. 
The very use of that name for God, Most High, deviates from what the Hebrews would be expecting, which would be their common Yahweh or Jehovah. That was the covenant name for God between them and God. El Elyon is used, if you will, from the Old Testament, this idea of God Most High, meaning that he is the God that is above all things, over all things, higher than all things, all men, all nations, all the earth, all the heavens. It is a universal statement of his service to a universal God. So this high priest, Melchizedek, not only served Israel, but he served the entire world at the time universally as a high priest of God Most High. Secondly, we looked at the Melchizedekian priesthood as royal. He's presented to us here as royal. In verse 1 again, for this Melchizedek, this Melchizedek of Genesis 14, king of Salem. He was a king in his own right as well as a priest. And we find again that he is one who is, in verse 2, marked out in his kingship in a number of ways, to whom Abraham also gave a tenth part of all, being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Four times we have king, 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 king repeated so that we will understand that this priest also held the office, the position of a king. He is a type of Christ in that. For what was prefigured, and especially in the book of Zechariah, was that the great high priest to come, and the king who would come, the Mashiach, the deliverer of Israel, would hold and combine both offices of king and priest in one, in one office. He was royal. Thirdly, we looked last week that Melchizedek's priesthood was righteous and peaceful. These names, king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, which means king of peace, marks the integral undergirdings of his kingship, first with righteousness and then with peace. If one wants peace with the king, one must walk in righteousness. And with this king, he led to righteousness that then would give peace with God, ultimately, through his priestly ministry, which is an exact representation of what Jesus Christ did when he took us who were at enmity with God, who were enemies of God in our hearts and minds because of sin, and made us reconciled to God through his ministry of sacrifice and reconciliation with God. There is peace with God. The Hebrew greeting shalom is from this word Salem, marked most likely as the ancient city-state of Jerusalem known as Salem over which this king ruled universally. Now, this morning, I want to get to the fourth description of the superior order of Melchizedek. The fourth description of the superior order of Melchizedek is this. Melchizedek's priesthood was personal, not hereditary. Hear me now. It was personal, not hereditary. Verse 3, Hebrews chapter 7. 
he is now described, he being Melchizedek of the Old Testament, is described without father, without mother, without genealogy. And right there we start going, wait a minute, maybe this isn't just a type of Christ, maybe this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, a Christophany. And when, if that were the only part of this text that we would use, that would be good grounds to stand on, wouldn't it? Until we think a little farther, until we think a little deeper, because Jesus did have a mother. Jesus' father was revealed as God the Father. Mary, having the Holy Spirit come upon her, and she conceived. And then he had a legitimate father in the legal sense in Joseph, who was also of the line of David. Mary was of the line of David, and so was Joseph. And they all have pedigree. They all have genealogy. There is a family line of Jesus as a man. This man, who is a type of Christ in the Old Testament, is said to have no genealogy. He is said to have no father and no mother without genealogy. Now the question comes, why? What does this mean? Why is he presented here in this way if he was a man? He would have had a father and mother, would he not? Let me answer that for you, as some of you already have. Yes, he would. But he is presented here in this way because a contrast is being made between the Aaronic priesthood of the Mosaic law and a preceding priesthood, that means before the Mosaic law was given, a high priest Melchizedek serving God as a priest and reigning as a king, as a man in Jerusalem. And the point isn't who he comes from. It is a comparison between he and Aaron. And what's the difference there? The Levitical priesthood, let me remind you, was hereditary. The Levitical priesthood was hereditary through Aaron. Through Aaron, the first high priest. He was the one, and from his family came all other high priests. They had to be able to track their lineage, their parentage, back to Aaron to serve as a high priest. So the qualification for being a high priest of Israel was singular. Heredity. The high priest being presented to us is different. See, under the Old Testament law, under the Mosaic law, there was more concern given to the pedigree of the person being considered for high priest than to holiness of 
or spirituality in their life. We have Melchizedek re represented without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Neither beginning of days nor end of life. Well, this, it does not mean, let me tell you that this does not mean that Melchizedek was Jesus before Jesus came in the incarnation. But that's where we might want to go. But the text doesn't allow us to do that. Or the, some might conclude that he came from nowhere at all, that God just made this one guy appear and be and minister and would be known by Abraham because Abraham knew him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have paid a tithe, would he? However he was, what it means is this. Let me be very clear. It means that the text says absolutely nothing about Melchizedek's origins on purpose. The text says nothing about the lineage or the genealogy of Melchizedek of Gen Genesis chapter 14 on purpose. God does not tell you from where he is from, so we may not assume to know. There's no in between this line. The point God is making is this, and it comes from a word that's never been used before and won't be used again in all of Scripture. And it starts with an A, an A as we call it, privative. When we speak of the millennium, and those of us who are millennialists, we believe that there is a little literal millennium. So we are millennialists. But if you are an ah-millennialist, you have the a-privative, the a that comes before millennium, then you believe that there isn't a literal millennium. Here we have if you will, all ah genealogy, or as it is in the Greek, ah genealogetos, an a privative, simply meaning no genealogy. Millennium, ah millennial, no millennium. Genealogy, having a genealogy, ah genealogists, you don't or it's not present on purpose. Now, it seems to make no sense to us to have a man who actually lived to be a type of Christ who ministered at such a high level that Abraham would give him a tithe, pay respects to him, until we consider that there is a point, and that point is that the heritage of this man is irrelevant to his high priestly ministry. Let me say that again. The point is, that his heritage is irrelevant to his high priestly ministry. Well then, why then is this priest written about in Genesis 14 in a very small two-verse passage? That's what he gets in Scripture. Two verses. Genesis 14. 
Why is this high priest seemingly, if you will, hidden in these two verses in Genesis and then mentioned Psalm 110 and then hundreds of years of nothing? Nobody talks about Melchizedek in the Bible ever again until the New Testament here. Why? Well, that's so we can find the deeper meaning of the Old Testament, I'm sure. Well, don't be too sure. You see, God is progressively revealing his plans and purposes to man. And it is like he is, if you will, sowing seeds, or, or even more, he's taking, he's taking snapshots of a piece of history that will later become a panoramic view. In the olden days in photography, there was something called film. And you couldn't take a picture without having this thing called film in your camera. It came in little rolls when I was a child. I remember my first Instamatic camera because it was instant. You could take instant pictures. And then you'd roll the film ahead and then you could take another picture. Life is happening every time in between your advancement of one of those pieces of film. But to put the images in front of yourself as a color picture, you had to snap the camera, and at the same time you snapped the camera, something happened, which you even have on your cell phones, called a flash. Now, it used to be that there was one bulb for each picture. You took one, and it would blind you. And everybody who just got their picture took it would like, and it was good you had to wait before you could take another because everyone who had just had their picture taken can't see for the white light shining in their eyes. See, some modern things and advancements are better. But on my Instamatic, I could take four, count them, four pictures in a row because I had a little cube with four flash bulbs. And when you clicked it, it flashed and then rotated to the next bulb. We're rocking, baby. This is technological advancements. And I take another picture. But you know what? Even had you done all of those things because you needed light to expose the film that imprinted upon that film the image of what you had taken. But since you had taken it, you know what happened? You couldn't just take it out of your camera and look at it in full color. You know what you had to do? Now is where it gets expensive. Now you take your film down to the photo development place which for us was Osco Drug, part of Buttrey's, also 
a dinosaur long dead in the grocery departments of the world. And we would take it down there and you would give it to them and you'd write your address and phone number on it and then you'd walk away. You mean they didn't just give you your pictures? No, they didn't give you your pictures. They couldn't. They had to be developed. Someone would take that film and make negatives from that and then from those negatives they were able somehow through a process of all kinds of different things and they would come out with pictures. I don't understand how they did it. I just know they did. And you'd come back when they called you or in a couple weeks and you would see if any of the pictures you took were any good at all. The people had red eyes in them. Guess what? They got a red-eyed picture. That's what you took. Somebody was cutting up in the family picture. There they are for all time. And sometimes you take these things and, and you take a bunch of film and, and, you take, and you take the film and you don't get it developed. And you know what you do? You, you stick it in a drawer. And you stick it in a drawer. And, and, and with that, there goes a mental promissory note. Someday, I'm going to take that film in and get it what? Developed. So I can see what's on the picture. God does stuff like that in the Bible. He takes a picture and then he lets you see the negative. And by the way, the negatives were awful to try and figure out what you'd taken. They're only in black and white and it's shady and you, it's tiny and you're looking at them and you're like, I don't know. It's not until it's developed that you see it in full color. Well, God does that in his word in giving the progress of revelation. He took a picture of Melchizedek and he put that negative in a drawer. And for hundreds of years, it sat in the drawer until the fullness of time. Until the picture he had given us of the coming one, Jesus the Christ, the great high priest would be developed so that you could see his features, you could see his garb, you could see his actions, you could see who he was, and it comes clear, and it leaps now into our lives, and it becomes not a snapshot, but a motion picture. This is the way God reveals himself and his plans and purposes. Melchizedek was a snapshot, a type of Christ that would later be developed in the real life of Jesus and is being developed for us even now as he ministers to us and for us and for Israel as the chosen high priest. And he was chosen not because of who his parents were like Aaron, but because of his personal quality and worth. Melchizedek's genealogy and his parentage were never mentioned because they don't matter. What mattered was that he was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. 
and that he was high priest for God, most high, not limited to one people group, but generally, universally for all people. Jesus is the fruition, is the full technicolor representation of Melchizedek, the snapshot in Genesis 14. Now come to fulfillment. Five. The fifth description. The fifth description of the superior order of Melchizedek, namely over the Aaronic or Levitical from the Mosaic Law, we find now in the second portion of chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 3. For after we have read, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, we read, but having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. But made like a son of God. So now there is a representation of not just the humanity of Jesus, but the eternality of Jesus. His deity. The humanity of Melchizedek there. But now, since you don't get to know this, he is made not as a son of God, but what's the key word that reminds us this is a type and not actually Christ? Made like like, not exactly like, but like, like unto the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. Now, this is again a contrast. Hebrews, you have to know, the Bible is telling us here, that the high priest that used to lead you to me, God, are now not needed. There is a superior, a greater high priest in the person of Jesus Christ, and he is so for the four descriptions already given, and now because his priesthood is eternal and not temporary. It's eternal. His priesthood, his ministry is eternal and not temporary. There's no end of life and remains a priest continually. The contrast is to all of those sons of Aaron. Aaron was born. Aaron lived. Aaron went along with Moses in his ministry in Egypt. Went along with Moses in his ministry in the wanderings. Went along with Moses. All of these things. But you know what happened? He died. He died. And then his sons had to take over for him. By the way, he was preceded in death by two sons who didn't serve God right and brought strange fire before God and were killed for it. Hence the sanctity of the priesthood as a necessity. But also that reminded us of the fallen nature of these men who were attempting to lead other fallen men to God. That whatever they did, it was always less than what would come. 
It was always incomplete. May I say it this way, and I probably will again, it was an immature ministry that would be fully matured in Christ. The priest of old served generally from the age of 25 to the age of 50, and all of them eventually died. A long line of priests. And, and regrettably, we have uh, an arm of what is called Christendom, uh, thinking that there is still, I should say two arms of Christendom, because Orthodox uh, Christianity is, is on the rise again with Vladimir Putin seems to be smart enough to weaponize them now again. And Catholicism. That want to bring a heritage of priests into the church. And you know what has happened to every pope or every priest of the Orthodox Church and will, no matter how many of them they make, they will die they will incompletely attempt to lead people to the Lord and they will die. Right here in the New Testament, we are told that there is a great high priest that is greater even than the Levitical Aaronic priesthood that were directly from Aaron's blood, Aaron's DNA, and these guys in these ages are not of that. If anything, they are far less, and in truth, they are charlatans and pretenders to the role of priest. This is why in the Great Reformation, a priest named Martin Luther read his Bible and noticed there's no more need for human priests. Because human priests can't be this for God's people. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like a son of God, remains a priest continually. Melchizedek's priesthood as represented to us here in Hebrews 7, springboarding from Genesis 14, presents him and this order of high priest as perpetual, ongoing, never ceasing. You know, physicists, scientists, particularly in the days of the great industrial revolutions when science was burgeoning and man thought once again like he had thought at one time, uh, back in the Levant, back at the Tower of Babel, that he could do all things. Man thought he could reach the heavens. Well, there was another time like that, late 1700s, 1800s, even into the 1900s. We thought we could do everything. And one of the great pursuits of the, of the big thinkers, you know, and there's always big thinkers, you know, and they're recognized as their big, by their big thinking. And usually that means when they think and they tell you what they're thinking, we don't know what in the world they're talking about. And one of the things they used to think about and talk about was a perpetual motion machine. 
If we could make something that would stay in motion forever, we would solve so many problems of the earth, so many problems of the world. Think about it now with a gas shortage. Think about it now with uh, an oil shortage. Think about it now with wind power when there's no wind. Think about it now in this world where they say, buy a car with a battery and you can go forever as long as there's some place to charge it up. Now, please don't take this as a comment on electric cars. You want one? Knock yourself out. In some applications, I'm sure they're good. Talk to Dustin about Montana and batteries made from lithium. That's all I'm saying. That wasn't planned. That's for free. What I am saying is, even now we're trying to create something that'll go on forever. Once you start it, think if you had a perpetual motion machine that just always keeps going and then you made more of them. Then all we have to do is hook that thing to a generator and we've got power forever. Yeah, baby. That's what we want. But such thing does not exist in this fallen world apart from the perpetual motion of an eternal life. Jesus died and rose again, never to die again. And though ye may die, you shall rise again because of the perpetual, ongoing, never-ending life, and not only life, but ministry of Jesus, the great high priest, who not only saved you to a new life, but drug you to that new life himself as a high priest. He's going to drag you right in to the holiest of holies and present you before God, and when you get there, you will appropriately be humbled. But you will praise his holy name. You will realize how much I have needed this great high priest. How often I've attempted to come to him without the proper respect, without the proper association with Jesus Christ. But I've got Jesus who is going with me and for me. And I say to this, who is this Melchizedek who pictured Christ Jesus? And what is he in fulfillment and what is he in his ministry? Revelation gives us some of these things. We see so many of these beautiful pictures that we need to see him sometimes more and more. Chapter 4. After these things I looked, verse 1, Behold, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking to me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, 
And he who sat there like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw the 24 elders clothed in white robes. They had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne preceded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle, and the four living creatures having six wings were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, He who is and was and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Whenever the living creatures give honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were. I take you again to where that song led, led us earlier this morning. Chapter 5, verse 11 of Revelation. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Listen, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb. How long? Forever and Ever. Why would we trade a forever high priest for one who dies on earth as a man? Maturity says, worship the Lamb, the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, your truth. Thank you for this revelation of your son, Jesus Christ, come full form. 
Lord, how we confess and how we hopefully await the fullness of seeing Jesus in his high priestly role before you leading us into your presence. Worthy are you, O Jesus the Christ. You are great high priest of the order of Melchizedek, for you are greater and more superior to Aaron and all Aaron's sons. For you are God and King and great high priest, in whose name we trust, the name of Jesus Christ, as we now pray together, affirming that reality by saying these words, and everybody say it, Amen.